The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 171 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Benello. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So, Andy, a lot going on, man. It's good to have both of us on the show at the same time. I know, brother. How you been? I'm doing okay, man. It's been a little while, right? It's been. A I know, minute. I know. I'm excited to be on with Mike with you today, dude. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, we got to do this more often, and I think going into the future, that's what the game plan is going to be. Um, you know, uh, you know, finding the time to get this done, both be on the same time, and also, you know, talk about some of the things, some of the uh, things that are going on in the news in cybersecurity. I think our folks like that, our audience likes that a lot. For sure. And uh, I think they like to hear from us both at the same time. That's the feedback I'm getting. So um, we're going to try to do that more often. I want to talk a little bit about some current events. And I think, you know, everyone's talking about, uh, especially up in New York City, uh, what are we going to do with COVID? What are we going to do? When are we going to come back? There's questions. Everyone's, everyone's asking a lot of questions. Unfortunately, you're not getting a lot of answers uh, in the industries, no matter what sector you're in, I think. Um, yeah. And you know, I think everyone's going back in phases and it seems like uh, that's the smart thing to do, right? It's everything's risk adjusted in business, as you know, right? That's right. Um, but I just saw some, uh, some article come out in the, in the, I think it was the New Jersey Herald today, and it was talking about how New Jersey has no idea, <laughs> no idea at all, what, what different variants are being presented of the COVID uh, virus uh, in New Jersey because they're not testing the people who are testing positive for COVID, they're not testing for the different variants and they have no idea. Basically, they've tested like 1% of, of the people um, that got sick. And, um, you know, I'm just talking off the top of my head here. I read the article this morning. And uh, that's a problem for a lot of people because it's holding up the, the return to work. It's holding up the, the governor's, uh, you know, reopening of the state, if you will. Yeah. So this poses, you know, I mean, this not a new problem, but a continuing, uh, I guess it's not really a problem either. It's, 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 it's a continuing shift uh, in what's going on in business. I mean, people like clarity, right? I mean, they want to be able to plan. They want to be able to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, and I think what's interesting about it is, you know, everyone's got a different tolerance level too, right? I mean, you know, companies are thinking about it from a, you know, a employee wellness and safety perspective, right? But they're also thinking about it from a liability perspective. Um, and without that consistent set of information, right, it's kind of hard for folks to make decisions that are going to impact people's lives. So, you know, look, I think there, there's another part to the conversation, too, that I think is interesting, especially when they start talking about going back to the office, which is, you know, for some companies that may be a little more lax outside of the financial sector with regards to like employee monitoring and um, privacy, you know, how do you now start to embed, you know, 
physical security devices around like thermal scanning, temperature checking, you know, so when you come in through the door, so almost like creating a TSA for the office, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, and so companies that aren't used to having that or, you know, maybe can't afford it, like how do they open the doors back up, right? And I think that's what companies are struggling with. And then, you know, you have the vaccine just, you know, right out of the gate, right? It's like, okay, do we do it when everyone's vaccinated? And then, oh, by the way, to your point, if for some reason, right, we don't know if that, you know, that vaccine's actually going to work against the latest variant. Now, what do we do? Where do we cut the line, right? right? Where do we draw the line and say, hey, look, you know, it's up to you as an individual to assess your own risk. And, uh, you know, we as companies will decide or companies will decide, you know, when, when they're ready to accept some liability, right? So, I think we're in for the still in for you know, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, what kind of choice do employees have, right? Or are they given the option to say, hey, look, you know, I'm not comfortable going back to work. Maybe I have some underlying conditions. You know, what happens then? And, uh, you know, yeah. what are the rules going to be? I think the uncertainty around the whole thing really just causes anxiety among everybody. That's what really causes anxiety, right? Do you think the proper decisions are being made? I mean, you think, you know, the, the, the I think folks... everyone has the right intentions, right? At least in the, yeah. in the, for each company, right? I think, you know, they all have the right intentions while trying to do the right thing for their company. Uh, I, I think there's also just the confusion around the information and what data set do you work off of that says this is where we need to put the baseline. Um, I think what you'll see is, you know, a lot of options, right? I think you're going to see companies at some point, you know, maybe, you know, back in the, you know, maybe in the fall, right. Start to open up a little bit and give people the option, like probably recommended that you take a vaccine. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll make it mandatory to have a vaccine to come in the office, but it's well, here's the thing too. Like even the vaccine, right. <laughs> it's not you're So in the article that I read, it says that, you know, we're going to have to get regular shots for COVID. Like we get shots for the flu, different variants yeah. of the flu. And this is going to be a, a constantly, you know, changing, uh, situation, I think, with, with COVID because you, we don't know. We don't know, right? If you're not testing anyone for these different variants in the whole state of New Jersey, you don't have the capability to do it in the hospitals, right? In the labs, right? I guess that was the the the, uh, the crux of the article. Then yeah. what? Uh, then how do you know? And then if you're a person that works in New Jersey, right? I mean, uh, you know, what do you you know what do you say to your employer if you have these underlying conditions? Are you comfortable going back to work? I mean, I don't know. I think it presents a lot of things. It also presents you know, this ongoing uh, sort of adjustment to what we have to do as leaders uh, in the industry, right? Yep. Um, like, well, you're a CISO, right? You're remote, I assume. Are you still remote? I, I am, yeah. We are, we're, we are remote. Yeah, so, what, so from a leadership perspective, you know, how does, that, how does that affect you and your team? How do we look at, you know, look at this into the future saying, you know, well, we have a few different options. We can go here. We're either all going to go back to work or maybe we're going to be remote or maybe it's going to be some kind of hybrid. Like, who knows? Like, so what do you do? How do you plan? And uh, from a leadership perspective, what is, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, I think, I think first, the first thing, right. In leadership is you just got to be grateful, right? I, I like to refer to leadership as like, it's a G thing, right? <laughs> let's like, let's go back to our, where we are roots, right? I back on the streets, right? <laughs> leadership to me, it's, it's, a, it's a G thing. Right. There's five G's that I focus on in leadership. First one is grateful, right? So you got a whole bunch of people who are choosing to work for you and to put their livelihood and their well-being in your hands, right? And, uh, and their family's future, right, in your hands, um, it, you know, especially in the, in the trying time. That's right. So 
So then that when you take that and you start to realize, right, okay, look, I got the responsibility. They could choose to work for anybody else. They choose to work for me. You know, I, I've got a responsibility to make sure I'm thinking about their, their future the right way. And, you know, with that, you know, we've done a lot of things in how we operate as a team. Um, you know, I'm actually finding that folks that are working remotely, the social dynamic around not having to be in person is actually creating less anxiety for people. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about that, if you think about all the offsites we used to go to, right? All the conferences, what table should I sit at? What group of people should I go interact with at the after hours? Right? All those things are gone, right? So we're actually seeing a lot more production, a lot more camaraderie because people are bringing their genuine self to like a Zoom meeting. And so it's a little different. So when if I factor that in, right, then I think the next G comes into play, right, which is genuine. We have the opportunity now with video and everyone recognizing that we can, we can work and live in the same place. And so it enables you to be genuine, right? Five years ago, if your kids were walking into a, a video conference, you're like, or in your office at home, you're like, oh, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. Now we're like, hey, who is that? Bring that, bring that kid over. Who do we got here? Tell me a little about themselves, right? They introduce themselves, right? So, you know, it, it's, it's a definitely a different dynamic. And I think, you know, embracing the fact that letting people be genuine about, look, you've got a family. Let's not make stress about this. Let's not create some anxiety around the fact that your kids or whomever are walking in the room, right? I think the other thing is you got to get in there, right? You got to get in there with the team and mix it up. So, you know, you got to be the first one in the last one out, right? Kind of mentality that we used to have, right? Uh, As an athlete or, you know, in small team dynamics. I think that still has to play and it doesn't change, you know, in the office or out of the office. Um, And I think the biggest thing though now is, you know, you got to be really giving. I think you got to be a little more giving of your time. Um, and you got to be able to start to really, you know, play a more kind of hands-on role, not necessarily with the work, but with their mental, you know, well-being, right? And I think that to me has been uh, one of the biggest benefits of, you know, or biggest things we had to focus on in leadership, leading remotely during the pandemic is, you know, spending the time to understand what's going on in their lives. And I think people are more willing to give up that information because they know we have to co-manage this thing because it's not easy. And then and I, I want to go back to what you said about people feeling more comfortable on Zoom, right? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty interesting, right? And yeah. so, you know, because they don't have to be in person, but uh, especially in cybersecurity, a lot of the push was to be in person, to be in the same room, to have these task force atmospheres, to create these fusion centers. And yeah. even outside of cyber, if you went on a, a corporate floor, uh, in, in New York City, Chicago, uh, I mean, you know, any big city where companies were already concerned about real estate costs, right? They were already yeah. concerned about it. right before COVID hit. A lot of companies were getting rid of the offices, breaking down the barriers, stuffing people into these, you know, cubes right next to each other with these lowered, uh, some in some cases, lowered walls. But in some cases, they said, okay, you have to have some privacy for calls. You, you know, these these different types of cube uh, designs. And there was a big push for that because it was, or it was, you know, I think a lot of times they say, hey, 
you know, this is because we want people to be in touch with one another. We want them to work together, to collaborate together, to be integrated more, um, yep. which is, you know, code for saying, I really wanted to save, save on my real estate costs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Back, I mean, back then, on. right? Yeah, I, sure. I, mean, I think that's what was going on. I mean, I, I call me a little bit cynical, but, but that was right before COVID hit. Now, <laughs> I would imagine all that money spent on the, you know, the, the total redesign of floors, which cost, you know, buku bucks, yeah. right? a lot of money. That's all gone. I think that, you know, that's not the way of, the, well, at least the immediate future. I can't see it over the next even few years um, as this plays out. I mean, if you look at, you know, how things are rolling and, you know, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's going to be March. <laughs> yeah. It's the third month of the year already. Yeah. I mean, you know, before you know it, it's going to be, you know, 2022 and, and we're still dealing with COVID. Um, even though we're rolling out these vaccines, we have these different variants and there's all kinds of problems and issues. And if you listen to the health professionals on, on, on cable TV, uh, they're saying that, look, we're going to be dealing with this for a while. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of true. I think we're going to be dealing with it for a while. So the long-term, the long-term, uh, I guess, strategy about going into the office, let's talk about how it affects cybersecurity. Now you said people don't want to be in person. They want to be on Zoom. Like if you go to any fusion center, you can see if you look on the wall, all the things that are on the wall, probably 70% of the data that's on the wall and all these screens are, are public, right? Yep. So you, you, you know, you probably could create, you could recreate that whole fusion center atmosphere remotely. I mean, I think people are starting to talk about this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a real thing. I mean, I think it's going to take time for people to actually adjust to it. But I go, if you think about it, right, you know, how many times you hear people complaining about, well, I don't like the desk set up here. I don't want to sit next to this. or I don't like the way this is. Right. Well, if you set up your home office the way you like it, right, that 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 complaint goes away. Right. And yeah. you're interacting with the people who you need to do your job with. The key will be recreating the water cooler right, in a way that is uh, healthy. Right. Um, you know, so making sure people are picking up the phone or getting on a, a video call to just, you know, catch up. Right. And so as leaders, one of the things we got to do is make sure that we're creating an environment where people can have that flexibility, where it's almost like instead of working shifts, you know, it's like, well, as long as you get your work done, right. <laughs> it's all matters. But, you know, you still will need some sort of, you know, on the sock floor, right. You'll still need that, you know, shift kind of mentality and, and schedule. But, for the most part, you know, the intelligence, the, um, you know, the research, you know, all that stuff can happen at any point in the day that works for you. Um, as long as you're able to deliver on the information timely. And you know, so yeah, I think it's about recreating that, uh, you know, I think in a task force atmosphere, people consume data at a much quicker pace, right? They're able to consume, yep. assess data, and then disseminate data to their teams really, really fast. Uh, so how do you recreate that uh, in the remote atmosphere so you don't lose any of the advantages that you have from a fusion center, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I you know, we're talking down the road, right? It's not going to happen overnight, but I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, a lot more collaboration technology that would enable, I mean, we've been playing with stuff like, you know, Miro and, uh, you know, things around like, you know, not just real-time chat, but like, how do we, how do we brainstorm and whiteboard together remotely, you know? So you can start to, there's technologies being built that will enable all that. And if you can, if you can get people to buy into that and, you know, there, there's an opportunity for that to happen. I think the other thing is everyone still has to work off the same shared platform, right? So as long as the data is all in the same place, how you access that data 
shouldn't change, right? I mean, you're still going to come in through, you know, going to access it into the same platform. The data is there for everyone to leverage. It then comes down to how do you recreate that conversation around what are you seeing and experiencing with the data? And I think that's the, the big thing, right? Yeah, I think and, that's something that, you know, we could recreate, you know, pretty, well, not pretty easy, but easier. It's easier than, you know, creating the, the, um, the situation where somebody can consume all the data. I mean, you need, you need about four screens. How many companies are providing, you know, Fusion Center employees four screens to work at home? I bet you some, some. you know, some, some, uh, but not all, right? And then, you know, what does that actually look like? I haven't seen anybody come out with a template of what that looks like yet. No, but, but maybe, right? I mean, some companies are doing, you know, hey, we'll give you some pandemic work from home, home office, you know, stipends, right? You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's scenarios for that. You know, maybe what you'll see is, um, you know, instead of making the investment in the Fusion Center, um, you know, people will move to like a, you know, Regis spaces or have little annexes, right? Like you'll have a couple people, you know, you rent out one room and people can go in and out if you need it, right? Like who knows where, where it'll go. I don't think it'll go away completely because I think there's still value, but I do think it's worth a conversation and we need to be exploring the fact that companies may not have the financial, you know, you know, finances to actually uh, build them anymore, right? I mean, if people hit, companies are hit pretty hard during the pandemic, they're starting to see that they can work in and survive a lot of them in a, in a remote capacity. So your real estate costs, you know, look, I mean, you know how much we spend in different companies that we've worked at. I mean, it's not cheap, right? So how do you build a, a task force environment that can share information in a scalable, affordable way? I think that's what we should be talking about. You, you know, know I once had a leader say, you know, uh, wanted us to implement some technology, and then we said, yeah, it's going to take us six months. And he looked at us and said, nothing takes six months. If it takes six months, we don't need it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? If we don't need it within six months, we don't need it now. So if you're looking at the time frame of COVID, right, the, I guess the remote culture, it's going to be what? By the end of the year, it's going to be almost two years. So if you're working remote for two years, what, what does that tell you? I mean, some, I think from an executive standpoint, you're talking about dollars and cents. I mean, do you really need to go back? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I think that yeah. that decision's got, got to be made. Well, and but, there's but, another aspect to it, right? I mean, let's talk talent, right? You also are competing for top talent. So if I pigeonhole the workforce into saying, all right, you have to be in this geographic location, yeah. are you going to get everybody to move right now? Are you going to get, are you missing out on the best talent for the right, for the role for your company that has the right personality that fits into your culture and into your team? Or are you going to say, I'm going to limit the, the talent pool to a geographic location, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows like New York City, everybody's trying to bail out of New York City. I mean, you know, the, a lot of the uh, big banks, I read uh, articles, they're calling uh, Miami, uh, you know, Wall Street South. And then you see the, the mass exodus in places like Citibank, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, they go, you know, Dallas, you know, Tempe, you know, Charlotte, yeah. you know, Tampa. These are, you know, where everyone's, you know, moving. Uh, moving jobs. I think, you know, at one point city went like 10,000 jobs. They moved out of, of the city in a very short period of time uh, to these other locations. But, you know, at some point those locations become saturated. You have to move people there. Everybody who lives in those locations has a job, right? At least yep. in, in certain industries. Right. And so you have to start thinking about, well, does someone from Chicago really want to move to Dallas? Right. I mean, I mean, not that Dallas is a bad place, but we just not used to it. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to live there. Texas is great. I love Texas. Um, uh, but uh, I think that's, you know, it's, so it's more, it, it, 
it allows you to be more competitive for talent, allows you to retain talent. There's all kinds of advantages, I guess, from a cybersecurity perspective, because, you know, cybersecurity, as we know, we talk about the talent war a lot on this show. So that plays into the whole conversation. I mean, if you take a look at everything across the board, it plays into the whole thing. So look, we got to take a uh, quick break, folks. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or google signet s-i-n-e-t have you friended us on facebook yet why not just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for the keywords voice america once you are part of our facebook network you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and new happenings at the voice america talk radio network and you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for voice america You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with my co-host, Andy Benillo. And uh, we're, we just got done talking about, you know, leadership and how COVID has affected uh, the cybersecurity community uh, in a bunch of different sectors. Um, and uh, what we're going to do moving forward in, into 2021, but also want to talk about some of the, the, the threats that we're seeing in 2021. And some of them are consistent with, you know, um, the threats that have, that have haunted uh, cybersecurity professionals over the last few years. Some, some of them are new. But I want to specifically talk about ransomware a little bit. I want to get your opinion about ransomware, and I want to go over a few things. Um, I think last year, late last year, was the first time that a ransomware attack, I think it was maybe back in September maybe, that was, uh, was, uh, was blamed for the death of a patient at a hospital in Germany. Uh, that was, I think the patient died in September and there was a ransomware attack on the, on the hospital and the patient had to be transported and the, and the, and the, and the patient didn't make the patient actually passed away. Um, so back in November um, of last year, it was only a couple months ago, uh, a few months ago. And um, there was an article in, in the technology that said uh, the title of the, the, the article was ransomware did not kill a German hospital patient. Very direct. Right, did not did not kill a German hospital patient, and then the the uh, the date of this article is November twelfth, twenty twenty. So it said, still, police warned that it's only a matter of time before hacking hospitals 
leads to tragic results. Now, we know that hospitals, uh, police stations, you know, government, 911 uh, infrastructure has been targeted by, by these ransomware attackers. And I think sometimes they feel that these people are more likely to pay. The FBI is probably likely to lay off of them because, look, I mean, life and death is at stake here. You know, you have to balance, uh, you know, these are emergency services. You know, people could die. Um, not to sound like Bernie Sanders, but I think when you look at this, right, and you see, well, it wasn't, when you read the article, it didn't ring too true to me, right? The findings say, quote, the delay was no relevance to the final outcome. The medical condition was the sole cause of the death, and this is entirely independent from the cyber attack. Now, without more, you know, more information, it's hard to say, okay, then that makes sense. You're just going to have to trust them that that was definitely the case, right? Like, you know, who knows what, you know, what the details of, of, of that, uh, that death are. I don't see any in, in, you know, on the internet here that, that would speak to the investigation itself. But at what point are we going to start drawing the line here on, on these ransomware attacks that are putting people's lives in danger, right? And how prepared are people, do you think, in, in, in general, to defend against a ransomware attack. Well, I shouldn't say people, organizations, right? Governments specifically, um, you know, 911 infrastructure, emergency infrastructure, um, and, you know, first responders, you know, fire departments, police departments, medical personnel. What say you? Man, you know, look, I mean, in that case, right, you get a negligent homicide, right? Yeah. Watch the investigation around negligent homicide. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's a first, right? And I think that's, you know, like it speaks to the severity of the situation. Um, and, and look, we, we've, we've often thought that at some point that could happen, right? And that's the, that's the scary part is, you know, when you start to look at, you know, the emergency services, um, some other critical infrastructures that were never meant to be on the internet, Right, they're yeah. so hard to, to modernize those infrastructures, and and and, and adversaries are taking advantage of that, um, you know. And so when you start to think about, all right, well, you know, it also gets to the conversation. Well, is it better for them to, you know, fully rebuild their infrastructure and maybe go cloud native? Like, what's that look like? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and I think they're being targeted. They're being targeted. These miscreants uh, are targeting these people because they're more likely to pay. Right. 100%, right? They know. They, they know they have to make a decision and they can't modernize the infrastructure. They can't react. The 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 systems that they're targeting are just, uh, you know, the, the IT departments, the security teams, like they don't have the resourcing um, to deal with this stuff, right? And, and it's pervasive. So they know that they can go after this, hit it hard, and there's a high probability that they're going to get paid. And, and, and history is telling them they're going to get paid, right? Which is just why, right? They keep doing it. Uh, people weren't, didn't have to pay to get their data and their services back. Um, there wouldn't be a ransomware business, right? I mean, of course. Right. And and that's why there's a, there's a shift, right? I mean, there's also, it's why ransomware has morphed into, you know, a data breach, right. To, to further the extortion. It's not good enough to just have backups of your data and the resiliency because, oh, by the way, I'm going to go public with the fact that I've stolen your data at the same time. Right. Exactly. And and so now, that, you know, they, they got you. Right. And that, and that's, and that's a problem. Yeah. It's it, So it's a double whammy, right? Not only exactly. we stole your data, but you know, we're going to delete all your data, but now we're going to give it to everybody else. So you're not going to have it, but everybody else is going to have it. That's even worse. Right. So now you have a, a totally different issue. So um, 
So let's talk a little bit about uh, intent, right? So you and I are both former law enforcement officers. We both on the, well, right. uh, you know, both on the federal, state, local levels, we, we combined experience. Um, so we, we understand it. Yeah, intent plays a big part in these statutes, right? And, and you can't just go around saying, yeah, a person should be arrested. Like I, I see on, on the news, people just making up stuff. I mean, all the time yeah, on yeah. news, like this person should be arrested for this. That, that statute doesn't even exist. Can't find it. Even if it did, I mean, I, and what you're describing to me would never fit uh, in, 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 uh, in you know, the legal context of how statutes are written. But when you talk about intent, if people are specifically targeting like hospitals or governments and things like that, if you can prove that, a, a, you know, a, a person or a group mostly target those types of organizations they understand the consequences and ramifications of their actions, right? So I, I would 100% make that argument. That's right, right? So you see where I'm going down the road with this, right? Yeah. They, they are holding people's lives hostage. Right. Right? I mean, so it goes beyond just a ransomware, you know, 1030 attack. So, so I'll, give you, I'll give you an example or right? a case where I was involved with years and years ago that kind of we played the same card. Right. And it was really more around the distribution of child exploitation content. Right. So, but any, we basically figured out if anybody who was joining a peer to peer network, peer to peer file sharing network, and they had their file, their folders shared publicly, right. It was the nature of the network to distribute anything in those, in those public folders. So anything that was viewed as child pornography or exploitation of children at that time, if you had it in that folder, you were then, the intent was you were there to distribute child pornography. Right. right. And once that's established in court, then you could just that's use right. it over and over again. And, right. And, and it worked. Right. And then we could automate it and you could join those peer to peer groups. Right. So, so anyway, the point there is that by pure nature of you being a part of that ecosystem and that the environment was set up for it to distribute, right. The intent was inherent here. If you know you're targeting hospitals and people go to the hospital to receive health care and people, if they don't get that care, they may die. Right. Like it's a very easy thing to kind of play out. Now, do you think people hit the hit the you know set the ransomware attack up to say I'm going to go kill that person, right? Specifically that person, okay? Maybe maybe not. No, but it's completely right. reckless right. And right. With, with disregard but, of the person's life, right? That's right. I mean, they do they don't care obviously if the person dies or not. They don't care that they're putting people's lives in jeopardy. They just want the money. That's right, right? And so I guess it's got to fit into some stuff. We got to get somebody from CSIPS on on this show to talk. I'm talking about. This. We yeah, got a bunch yeah. of former lawyers that we got. Yeah, we got to get some lawyers on here. We, we want answers. <laughs> <laughs> we want some answers. <laughs> get them on the show. Where's Kim Peretti? Yeah, where is Kim? she? We should just call her right now. See if she picks up. You're live. On <laughs> You're live on the show. <laughs> um, <Hang on. laughs> so, you know, for people who don't know, the CSIP section is a computer crime and intellectual property uh, section of the Department of Justice. And they're basically the computer crime lawyers. They're the cyber crime lawyers who decide you know, basic questions like this that we're talking about right now. What are they going to pursue and how are they going to pursue all kinds of issues, any type of legal issues in the Department of Justice that relate to cyber crimes that are being prosecuted on the federal level, or from the FBI, the Secret Service, doesn't matter, anybody. So I think, you know, there has to be some more discussion. There has to be a bigger discussion, maybe some roundtables in the industry. We need to get some things going about this because this is, why wait until someone dies? Why do we always have to wait 
until the, somebody crosses that threshold and it happens to do something in this country, right? Let's do something now so somebody doesn't die, right? Let's, let's start prosecuting people uh, under the different laws at our disposal. Let's start moving towards, you know, getting different legislation uh, into Congress. We get approved the different laws so that we can go after people and protect people that are vulnerable through these systems because that's what, that's what really is going on here. There's people in the community, whether it's in some of these, uh, some of these inner cities, like, like Baltimore got crushed by that crushed. ransomware attack, right? Yep. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, places like this, we need to protect these people. We need to protect these people. So, so there's another aspect, right, that we're not talking about, which is the laws of other countries, right? And, you know, it's interesting when you start to look at, and you've dealt with this through your whole career, right, as, as have I, which right. is, you know, how do we make the laws in other countries or work within those laws, right? So for instance, if let's just say, hypothetically, that, you know, these ransomware groups are coming out of a country that has different laws than the United States, Right. Right. And you have to play within that. I, you know, how do, what's the, what's the tear line for them with regards to, okay, look, if they're hacking a company, well, we'll use Russia, for example, like if they're hacking a company outside of Russia, maybe we don't care. But if they're actually do, committing a cyber crime and killing people, do we care or not care? Right. And, and that's a conversation at the government level that has to happen, right? Like, Hey, look, like there's gotta yep. be some threshold amongst the countries of the, you know, where these, where the adversaries are living and the victims of these countries, regardless of which ones they are that say, Hey, look, we know nation state and nation state. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to spy on each other and there's cyber warfare. We know that stuff's going to happen. Right. We get it. Right. But in the, in the, when it gets to citizens, right. If they're targeting companies, okay, that's a problem. But when it gets to the point where people's physically, people are dying, right. That's a whole nother level right and we can't we can't tolerate that yeah i think we gotta once we get the statute down once we're able to say okay we're indicting these people all right these people are indicted now we can go to you know i don't know obviously mlats don't have you know much power over in, right yeah in, of Russia, in some of these places you know it's the same old story like we're not you know we're we understand the deal we, we know what's going on but nonetheless you can't even have the conversation unless you can you know say hey look we're we have a criminal investigation we need your help uh by, by the way, Edmlat is a, a mutual legal assistance treaty, to, you know, uh, executed by the State Department of the United States to engage other countries to help them investigate uh, crimes uh, that occurred in America against Americans. Um, so, when using this, these types of tools, um, I think you know we first got to get to the fact, you know, get to where, hey, look, you know, they committed this crime, and then you got a really good point. And what do you do about it then? These, a lot of these people are in places that you can't reach out and touch them, right? Uh, right. At least that's what they think. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, uh, one more before the break. Let's talk about, um, you know, when everybody, whenever you talk about material risk in 2021, obviously third party insider threat, uh, destructive malware, things like that. What about insider threat? I mean, I want to just chat about this because, uh, the remote atmosphere of uh, that, that is it more conducive to the insider threat now, or is it harder that people aren't in the office or is it easier that they're home? You can't see them. You don't know what they're doing. You know, you can take screenshots of their screen all day. You have no idea. Right. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's gone through the roof, right? I mean, I think you have that. I think you have companies that are having to scramble to now say, look, my corporate network to monitor for insiders is actually no longer their network. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got to have cloud-based security tools that enable you to, uh, you know, decrypt the SSL traffic that's happening across the Wi-Fi router at your home, right? Like, like so you got to move to that kind of technology where the device doesn't matter where it is. Right? Your corporate network is no longer, 
what it used to be, right? So having visibility into that, I think is key. I think then, uh, you know, the settings and configurations around what you allow and don't allow in terms of people to leverage their, you know, personal email, cloud storage, right? All that stuff factors in. And then, oh, by the way, not everybody has multiple computers at home. And for some countries, like their corporate laptop for some, you know, is like the, the computer their kids have to use to go to school, right? Yeah. So you, gotta, you also have that threat too. So, you know, I think there's a whole bunch of risks that's out there. You know, there's technologies that are helping. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the, the risk has, you know, definitely gone up for a lot of companies. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think about, you know, the risk in the inside. In the, on the trading floors, there's always a big concern about, you know, managing risk associated with employees. And, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, uh, you know, basically said that, you know, this was, a, this was months ago, that their, their traders are, you know, from a risk perspective, they need to be back on the floor trading, right? And they were one of the first companies to rush back. And at that time, it, you know, within like 24 hours, COVID broke out on the floor. It was a pretty much a, 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 a PR disaster. Hopefully no one, no one really got sick. Um, obviously they contracted COVID, but I hope really hope no one, no one fell ill or, or God forbid, you know, have a serious medical condition or passed away or anything. So, but I mean, people are risking their lives when they go back to work. And I think insider threat, you know, plays a little bit of part in those decisions and those risk decisions of the, that companies make on who comes back to work first, who comes back to work second and third and so on. Um, and it, to your point, you would think, at least if you thought about it some way, like, you know, oh, well, if you're, they're not in the building, they're less of a risk, right? Not necessarily. <laughs> not yeah. necessarily. That's kind of not how it's playing out, is it? Um, and, and so yeah. that, that's a little bit of surprise, uh, surprising to some folks. It's, it's presented new challenges. Um, I think different types of risk have been reprioritized now when it comes to the employees, whether it be, you know, printing or downloading or, or you know, because you can't see them, you don't know what they're doing. Um, the use of email, et cetera, has become more of an issue. Uh, you know, people don't have, you know, print capabilities from the work. They're not allowed to print at home, only at work. And if you're not at work, I don't know what that does for you, right? So people are trying to struggle with the equipment. And there's that part of the insider threat. Well, I don't really consider it a part of it. You know, I really don't consider this the insider threat. But when an employee makes a mistake, it's not a malicious act, right? They don't do something purposely to maliciously do something to the company. People but call errors, it, right? That, that, yeah. that category of error, Right. Yeah, mishap, right. right. I mean, it, it, things are happening, and you say, "Okay, now it puts a company at risk." And so then you start to ans- ask yourself, "Like, okay, well, how do I, you know, how do you get your arms around all that, um, and start to pull it in a little bit, and, and do it in a way that's consumable, you know, in the current environment, um, you know, and do it quickly, right? Because some of some of these tools aren't cheap. You got to deploy them. It takes change management. Like all that stuff has to happen. And then, oh, by the way, by the time you're done, maybe you're back in the office. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. right exactly. Exactly. So, uh, well, new times, new challenges. we got to take a break, folks. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis, along here with my co-host, the CISO Sienna Andy Manillo. Andy, I, I want to talk a little about the news, uh, cyber news, the latest cyber news uh, this week that happened. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is this uh, article in uh, APnews.com that's titled Suspected Russian Hack Fuels New U.S. Action on Cybersecurity. Um, so, again, it, you know, it takes, you know, it takes some type of action to, <laughs> to get things done around here, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, we should be doing this the whole time. And I guess um, uh, the article is talking about uh, CISA and it's talking about how, uh, you know, they have what, what their budget is, how capable they are, their authority, uh, to get things done. And I always thought about that. I always thought, what kind of authority does CISA really have, uh, to get yeah. things done, right? It's the, it's the cybersecurity and infrastructure agency for the United States. They're in charge of, you know, cybersecurity, sort of a central command uh, for the country. Um, so this is also very interesting. I just wanted to talk about this a little bit uh, and then get your, get your thoughts. You know, yep. President Joe Biden, this is a quote from the, uh, from the article, President Joe Biden plans to release an executive order soon that Newberger said will include about eight measures intended to address security gaps exposed by the hack, right? Well, we all knew these, these were issues. We were all concerned about that. Everyone talks about these material risks all the time, right? And in the end, quote, the administration has also proposed expanding by 30% the budget of the U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, a little-known entity, now under intense scrutiny because of the Solar Winds breach. Like, look, I get it. Like, these guys are fighting the good fight over there. I mean, we have you know, some of the best professionals in the world. We love these guys, right? We're the biggest proponents of, 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 of the folks that work over at CISA. But are they really empowered to stop this kind of thing? <laughs> Man, I mean, I think, <laughs> number one, like, they don't have... They're not on the, you know, they're not on the solar winds network. (laughs) (laughs) They're not, they're not the telecommunications infrastructure where the, where the cyber, the cyber war is being fought. Right. Like they they can only do so much. Right. But I mean, look, this is a great first step in uh, trying to, trying to shine a light. Right. I think the other thing that article touches on too, is the modernization of the, you know, the government networks. Right. I mean, that's a significant amount of money 
you know, that they're looking at throwing at this to start to modernize the U.S. government infrastructure. Um, and, and look, solar winds, at the end of the day, like, it highlights the level of sophistication of the types of attackers that we're always talking about that people don't actually have, unless you've been in the national security space, actually have real life visibility into what that stuff looks like, right? There's reports around a thousand Russian engineers are writing, you know, in essence, like not a lot of lines of code, right? To take advantage of the solar winds, you know, software. So, you know, when you think about the amount of reverse engineering you have to do to then embed this, you know, in his target attack, like that's a completely different ballgame. I'm not sure CISA can defend <laughs> that by the sheer way that that attack occurred. Now, could could you put some sort of responsibility on them to say, hey, look, every piece of software that gets written and that's available for download in the commercial space or in the government space that gets you know, has to go through some sort of software integrity check and they do a bunch of reversing to like look at software and make sure it's good. That's a pretty daunting task for to put on them yeah. or anybody for that matter. Like, I don't know that that's a realistic option. Yeah, and I think they don't, you know, I don't see anything in specific terms here. So I'm going to take a quote, another quote out of this article. Again, it's a uh, suspected Russian hack fuels new US action on cybersecurity. Uh, came out this week, I'm looking for date, February 19th. It came out, uh, APnews.com. Um, they're talking here. Where, let, me get to, let me get back to where I was. Um, all right. Yeah, here we go. Speaking at a recent hearing on cybersecurity, Representative John Katko, a Republican from New York, urged his colleagues to quickly, quote, find a legislative vehicle to give CISO the resources it needs to fully respond and protect us. Now, that sounds great, but what is that? <laughs> what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand what, what exactly are we proposing here? What would that mean? Is he telling some other people, hey, let's get some smart people around the table and figure out what this is, which is, you know, great that we have the support, right? But yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, DHS is still not, you know, I know they're a part member of the intelligence community, but they don't, they're not like the infrastructure where the intelligence is happening, right? They're not the NSA. They're not, you know, they're not the telecommunications infrastructure. So look, they, they have some limitations, um, but, but when you start to think about, all right, let's use the U S government networks and the, you know, the, the department agencies as their, their IT infrastructure as a sensor. All right. This becomes a different conversation, right? Cause if we modernize their IT environment and they put the right monitoring controls and maybe CISA has the ability to monitor the, the, the dot gov, uh, you know, and a little, a little differently, maybe a little more aggressively than maybe previously that might give them something, you know, to work off of. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So here's another quote from a uh, Rhode Island uh, a Democrat. Um, our cyber infrastructure is every bit as important as our roads and bridges. You know, all true. Like all this is true, right? It's just getting down to what we're going to do about it. Here we go. It's, an, it's, it's important to our economy. It's important to protecting human life. And we need to make sure we have a modern, resilient cybersecurity infrastructure or cyber infrastructure, of course. Right. I mean, I don't know uh, what this all means, but Biden apparently is calling for a six hundred and ninety million dollars addition to the, uh, the budget uh, for CISA, as well as providing the agency with nine billion to modernize IT across the government in, in partnership with the General Services Administration. So, you know, I, what does this say about uh, what does this say about budgets in corporate when you're the government saying, yeah, we're going to do another 30 percent. I think what they're, they're averaging increases in 34 percent in cybersecurity across the, 
you know, uh, across the government anyway, when it comes to budgets, right? But now just look, it's, it's another 30%. I mean, you know, I mean, when's it going to stop? Um, and when are we going to, you know, how much is enough, right? But we so, definitely so I think need it speaks more resources. To another, another aspect, we start to talk about the enterprise, right, and, and the private sector, which is if you don't invest in modernizing your infrastructure, at some point, you're going to feel the need to have to cut a big check, right? So instead of saying, all right, we're going to increase the spend 5% year over year, do that, you know, <laughs> to keep the maintenance up care and feeding, right? At some point you're going to go, all right, enough's enough. And now we got to go back and redo it. And, and that's not the best approach either, right? Like it's, it's nice that they're going to come out and give a chunk of cash, but what if we had just spent that money incrementally over the last, you know, 15 years, right? right and have been incrementally right. making it better, you know, and, and not creating as much risk, right? I think that's, that's the big takeaway I hear is like, okay, look, we're going to go spend a bunch of money to fix a problem that we've, we've, it's gone unchecked for a long time. And now we got to do something about it. Like, yeah. I mean, when you talk to boards, you don't want to scare them, right? You don't want to scare them. Hey, if you don't give us the money, this is going to happen. Like, and it's, you, know, you don't want to go in there with that. You lose all kinds of credibility and everything. But when you can point to things that actually are happening in the sector or not even in the sector, in, 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 in the cybersecurity industry, right? Cyber attacks that happen to companies, no matter what uh, critical infrastructure they belong to. And then you can apply that to your own company, right? Like an offense informing defense type of situation and say, hey, look, this is how we would have fared. This is real life. This is happening, you know, and this is what we need to make sure that this doesn't happen to us. That's probably the most effective way, in my mind, to talk to a board in terms of risk, using that common lexicon of risk that they understand, and then, you know, getting everybody on the same page. Because I think what's happened is COVID has changed the risk appetite for companies. And, you know, people are, you know, tightening their belts. I think, you know, cybersecurity budgets are, are, are being hit across the industry. I mean, you see all kinds of, you know, fluctuations uh, in staff and all kinds of changes that are going on, uh, you know, in many different companies. And, you know, COVID hasn't done cybersecurity, you know, the effort that, uh, on the cybersecurity as a space, any, any favors at all. Uh, so, but still the government's increasing. So their, their budget by 30%. So now we have that, right? Right, right. It's a good start. It's a reminder. So, um, hey, man, uh, I think we're coming up on the hour. Um, went by but, quick. Yeah, it went by quick, right? I know. <laughs> went by, went by real fast, man. So I appreciate uh, appreciate the conversation. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You're um, listening to Task Force Seven Radio. The voice of cybersecurity. <laughs> Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 